If you would turn now uh, to Psalm 42, uh, it is printed in your bulletin. Uh, it'll appear on the screen behind me, uh, and then also you can find it uh, in your copy of God's Word. This summer, we're taking a look at a different psalm each Sunday. Uh, we're seeing how they put words uh, to what we are feeling. Uh, we've looked at how the psalms help us to uh, handle our sadness, how they help us handle our guilt, and this week we will look at depression. Perhaps not three emotions that you would sign up to talk about, uh, perhaps not the three most popular emotions, uh, but the psalms we find, the psalms speak to real life. They speak to us where we are. We would have said that depression and anxiety were big issues before the pandemic, but since the pandemic, there has been an overwhelming increase in depression. Life has given us more than we can handle. In January of this year, studies showed that over 40% of adults exhibited signs of depression. In that same period two years ago, so before COVID, the number was around 10%. That is a 400% increase and signs of depression. If there are 10 people on your row, don't look now, but if there are 10 people on your row, the study would say that four of you are showing signs of depression. And depending upon your perspective or your experience, you might say that number is low. While it's not the most comfortable topic for us to talk about, we see that it's actually very needed. Chances are you or a loved one are either depressed right now, you're coming out of depression, or you're headed into it soon. And if you're here this morning and you would say that you are depressed, that's how you would uh, talk about yourself right now, I'm really sorry. I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, as a church, we want to help you. We want to be with you. As you walk through depression, any of our pastors or our elders are available to talk and to pray with you whenever you would like. There are a lot of different approaches that you could take when it comes to talking about depression. There's so much more that I would love to talk about uh, today, but we are limited by a service like this. But I'm a pastor, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a physician, and so I want to look at the Bible. What does the Bible have to say about depression? Does the Bible have any wisdom for us in this area? Psalm 42 is filled with wisdom. For thousands of years, Christians who are depressed have turned to Psalm 42 for help. And so let's read Psalm 42 together. Hear the word of the Lord for us today. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. 
My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from, Fount, from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray for your help as we look at Psalm 42. We pray that this part of your word would be a balm for those who are hurting today. That it would lift the spirits of those who are discouraged and depressed. And Lord, I pray that my words would be your words. That by your spirit that you would speak. And Lord, we pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. I want to look at this passage in two parts. First, I want to look at the problem that is described, and secondly, look at the reminders that are offered. So first, what is the problem that we are dealing with? The first problem is the most obvious problem to us in the psalm, that the psalmist is dealing with spiritual depression. He says, where are you, God? God, have you forgotten me? Everyone, my enemies are taunting me. Where is your God? God, will you show up for me? The God who was once near to him is far off. But before we get into his depression, I want to address a modern problem that we have with this psalm. If you were over the age of 30 and you grew up in the church... When you read the first verse of this psalm, you automatically start humming the tune to As the Deer Pants for the Water. As the deer panteth. Yep. There's nothing wrong with that song other than the fact that it in no way matches the tone and the theme of this psalm. When we hear that song, our minds are transported to a a picture of a beautiful meadow in full bloom. We have this picture of a, a young fawn drinking out of a babbling brook. The sun is shining and it's about 70 degrees and there are harps playing in the background. But this is not a peaceful or serene psalm. So as best you can, get that song out of your head. And I know that by telling you to get the song out of your head, I've just assured that it will never leave, and it will be in your head as it has been in my head the entire week. But rather, when you think of this psalm, think about a flash flood. Think of a whitewater rapid. In verse 7, the psalmist says, all your breakers and your waves have come over me. The waves of grief and anxiety keep pummeling this man over and over again. It's like when you go to the beach and the waves are so big that it knocks you over and as soon as you stand up another one comes and it knocks you over again and over and over again. That is what this man is experiencing. He is in over his head. 
But who is the man? Who is the author? We didn't read the superscription. That's the part that is above the first verse. It says, to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Who are the sons of Korah? If you were a son of Korah, you dedicated your life to producing and performing music to be sung in the worship of God. This psalm was written by the worship leader. His life was in service to the worship of God. He was a professional Christian, to put it in our terms. His life was in service to the worship of God. And don't miss this. There is this subtle belief that we have that good Christians don't experience depression. That only weak or young or immature Christians will ever be depressed. Depression might be for non-Christians, for those who don't know the hope of the gospel. But mature Christians know the Bible. Our faith is strong enough that we wouldn't be depressed, that we can just count our blessings. Or remember Romans 8.28. Real Christians aren't depressed. That's not the picture we see in Psalm 42, and it's also not the picture in the rest of the Bible. Two preeminent figures in the Old Testament are Moses and Elijah. These are two guys who were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, but they are also two men who were deeply depressed in the middle of their ministry. In the book of Numbers, Moses is in the wilderness with the people, and he's done. Moses has had it. He's on empty. He's tapping out. He is done with the people he has heard. They're complaining for the last time. And in Numbers 11, he says this, I am not able to carry this people all alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. Moses said, I would rather be dead than to carry on with what I'm having to do now. This is Moses. This is the man who was on the mountain with God, who saw the glory of God, the leader of the people of God, and he says, God, kill me now, I'm done. What about Elijah? In 1 Kings 18, Elijah is at the height of his ministry. Fire had just come down from heaven, and he defeated the prophets of Baal. And at the end of the chapter, it says that the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And just a few verses later in chapter 19, we find Elijah on the run scared for his life. And he says to God, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Moses and Elijah. They're on the Mount Rushmore of Old Testament saints, both depressed, so in despair that they want God to take their life. And that's where the psalmist is. The picture in verse 1 is of a deer that is so dehydrated, so thirsty, so emaciated that it will die if it doesn't get water. Uh, The author, the psalmist is saying, God, my soul is so dry, my soul is hurting so much, I'm so alone that if you don't show up, I'm dead. What I want us to see is that despair and despondency and depression hit all of us. It is no respecter persons. And so whether you are the pastor, the elder, or the deacon, or the ministry leader, or the worship leader, whether you are a new Christian, or an old Christian, or not Christian, 
we all get to a point in which life is too much for us. So if that's where you are today, I don't want you to think that your depression is a disappointment to God. God is near to the lowly. God is close to those who are downcast. And you may have no clue why you are depressed. There are times in which the cause of depression is just not obvious. But there are times in which it's more obvious. Take Psalm 32 last week. David was depressed because he was trapped in his guilt about his sin. Or it's understandable when someone has faced a really uh, tragic circumstance, like when they have a bad diagnosis or a loved one dies. It's understandable why someone would be depressed. But there are other times in which there's just not an obvious answer or cause to depression. And that seems to be the case in Psalm 42. There is no indication of what caused depression in this man. God seems far away to him. And it can feel like that for us and depression as well. God seems distant. It can seem like God is angry with you. God is disappointed with you. And you can't figure out why. God just seems like he's angry with you. Or, or it feels like God's just messing with you. Like, he, like this is just some kind of sick game. That he's just toying with you. That he's capricious. That God is giving you the cold shoulder. God answers everybody else's prayers. God attends to everyone else. He hears what everyone else is saying. But when it comes to you, God is absent and silent. We see that this man is in spiritual depression. God is far off from him. But that's not the only problem that we see in the passage. It's also a social problem. This man has been cut off from his community. In verse 2, he says, when shall I come and appear before the Lord? When can I get back to the temple to worship? When can I be with God's people? Verse 6 tells us that he's not in Jerusalem. He's not in the temple. He's in the north of Israel, in the land of Jordan and Hermon. He is isolated. He is away from his church. In verse 4, he remembers Because I remember when I would lead the people of God. We would go up to worship together. I would lead them in procession. His soul is withering without the communion of saints. Here is a man who has been cut off from relationships, from community, and his isolation is keeping him in his depression. If you've ever had a major life transition, you may know this pain. Some of you are new to Birmingham. And you miss the connections that you had where you were before, at your old church, your old community. These connections that you had were forged over decades and years. And you moved and you're gone. And life's not the same. And you miss those connections and there's a sadness that they are gone. Some of you are just coming out of college. And the community that you had on the college campus is gone, and it just doesn't feel the same that it felt when you were in college. I can remember the time in life in which I was the most depressed. It was the time between college and seminary. I had moved to Birmingham. I didn't really know anyone in Birmingham. I'd left a church and a ministry position in college that I loved, that had given four years of my life to. And I came to Birmingham, I just felt lost. 
I wasn't connected to a church. I was going to a different church every week, and the isolation was so hard for me. But not only was it a social problem, not only was he disconnected from community, it was also a vocational problem for him. His calling in life was to lead God's people in singing, and he's lost his job. There is a sense of, he's lost a sense of purpose and of meaning and fulfillment in life. God put us on earth to work. And if you talk to someone who has lost their job, yes, the loss of income is significant for them, but just as important is the loss of purpose. What do I do with myself now that I'm not working? You also see it in retirement. I've worked my whole life so that I won't have to work. Now that I'm not working, what do I do with myself? But it's not just social and vocational. His depression is also physical. In verse 3 he says, My tears have been my food day and night. What a picture. Day and night, my tears are my food. If you are eating tears in the middle of the night, what does that tell us? That you're not eating and you're not sleeping. His depression was affecting his physical health. This psalm shows us that depression is a complex condition. At the same time, it is spiritual and physical and social and mental. And it is hard to draw lines between causes and conditions. And the problem is never just one thing. And the process of healing is never just one thing. And so we do a disservice to those who are depressed when we reduce depression to purely spiritual or purely physical or purely chemical. It is complex and it's multifaceted. We see that the process that is presented to us in this psalm, what does it look like to heal from depression, is presented as complex and multifaceted as well. The psalmist doesn't present a step-by-step process for healing. It's not a linear process. Notice in the psalm how many times he goes from faith-filled statements, like, I will hope in God, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. He's filled with faith, and then the next line he says something like, my soul is downcast. Where are you, God? In the space of the psalm, the psalmist pinks back and forth between faith and despair. And for many Depression is not something that is ever completely cured in this life. It is something that you have to manage. It is something that is more or less intense in different seasons of life. And so rather than a step-by-step process, the psalmist talks about things that he remembers in the middle of his depression. Twice in the psalm he says, I will remember What are the things that he remembers in the middle of his depression? What are the things that we need to remember that we see in this psalm? There are four things. First, remember that you are human, that you have a body, that you have limits. God made you and me so that we can't do everything. None of us are omniscient or omnipotent. We can't fix every problem. We can't control every outcome on earth. All of the world's problems are not your problems. None of us are God. And that is a really good thing. And if your food at night 
If your food day and night are your tears, I would plead with you to find a way to eat and to get some sleep. You were designed by God for sleep and eating. And things don't go well for us. Things don't go well for us when we don't sleep or eat. In 1 Kings 19, when Elijah was at the end of his rope, when he wished that he would die, God sends an angel to him in 1 Kings 19. And we might think that the angel was there to deliver a message, to tell Elijah to get his act together, or to give him a message from God. But what does the angel do when he gets to Elijah? He bakes him a cake. He wakes him up. And he says, Elijah, you need to eat. And after Elijah ate and drank, he went back to sleep. He took another nap. And the angel woke him up again, and he gave him some more food. Elijah didn't need a rebuke or a speech. He needed to eat and to sleep. He needed to remember that he was a human being with limits, and that he needed to eat and sleep. The first rule in IT troubleshooting is always to unplug the device and restart it. When you call tech support and the thing's not working, what's the first thing they always tell you to do? We'll just restart it, unplug it. That's not bad advice for us either. God created the world around rest. He has built rest into the fabric of creation. And sometimes what you need is to unplug from the noise and the obligation and the demands of life and to admit your limitations. And related to all of this is that a part of the common grace of God is not just that he has provided food and rest for you, but he has provided medicine that can help you, that might be able to help you in your depression. Pharmaceuticals are not a panacea. But that doesn't mean they cannot be helpful for you and that you shouldn't consider them if you are depressed. And so first, remember that you are a human being. Remember your body. But secondly, remember the means of grace. Many of you might have heard us use the term means of grace in our church. And I don't want to assume a common understanding of what we mean when we use that term. In our church tradition, the means of grace, the means of grace are the instruments or the means by which we receive the grace of God. How is it that we get what Christ has done for us? How do we get the benefits of what Jesus has done for us? Think about it this way. What are the means of physical growth for your body? How has God designed your body to grow? You need proper food. You need proper nutrients. You need rest. You need exercise. God could have designed your body such that you grew automatically. But that's not how he designed it. God appointed means for your body to grow. But what about spiritually? God could have designed you such that you grew automatically as a Christian. But that is not how God designed us. God has appointed means by which we grow in Christ. And these are quite ordinary means. There is nothing that is spectacular about the means that God has appointed. Among the means of grace are the Word of God, the sacraments, prayer, and the communion of saints. These are avenues that through faith the Spirit works to give Christ to us, to grow us and to mature us and to assure us of his love. One of the things that I see that is so common 
amongst Christians when they are depressed is that they cut themselves off from the means of grace. They stop coming to worship. They stop hearing the word preached. They stop partaking in the Lord's Supper. They stop reminding themselves of their baptism. They stop praying and reading the scriptures. They cut themselves off from the communion of the church. It is like a starving man who is staying out of the kitchen. And I know that when you are depressed, the last thing on earth you want to do is to come to a worship service. Because the impression that you get is when you show up that everyone else is okay, and you're the one that's not okay. But if there's ever a time in life in which you need the means, grace, it is this. And it is often the last thing that we do. Sometimes the most faith-filled The most courageous and brave thing a person can do is to show up for worship in the midst of depression. We want this church to be a place where you can show up and not be okay. That you can sit on the back row and be angry the whole time. You can show up and be aloof, be disengaged the whole time. Or you can show up and cry the whole time, and that's okay. We're just glad you're here. And we hope that every time that you show up, that you are reminded again that we hold out the hope of the gospel to you every week, that we give you a word of hope that is outside of yourself, that we give you a word of grace that is outside of what you hear, that they're not the words of despair and discouragement that, go, that are on repeat in your mind all the time. You need to see that other people believe, even when it's hard for you to believe. So friends, I plead with you to avail yourself to the means of grace, even when you don't feel like it. Don't wait for your feelings or for your emotions to change. Come to worship, read your Bible, pray, go to your kingdom community or small group, reach out to a friend that will listen even when you don't want to. Hopefully, by the grace and mercy of God, you will find that the cloud will start to lift. Will it be hard for you to do this? Absolutely, it'll be hard. Will people say hurtful and unhelpful things to you? Yes, and I'm really sorry that so many times we hurt rather than help people who are dealing with depression. The two times in life in which I was in the lowest place uh, that I can remember In both instances, the turning point came for me when I was in a worship service. And that's not because I'm a particularly holy or spiritual person. The sermons were rather average that day. I don't remember anything about the music. But what changed for me was being with the people of God. Being reminded of the promises of God. Coming to the table of God and partaking with other people. That's what I needed, and that's what the author of Psalm 42 was longing to do, to be with God's people. And so thirdly, we need to remember to talk to ourselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a famous pastor in London in the last century, and he wrote a book, Spiritual Depression. It's a classic on this topic, and I would commend it to you. And in the book, he talks about the difference between listening to yourself and talking to yourself. Lloyd-Jones says this in the book, I suggest that the main trouble in the whole matter of spiritual depression is, is in a sense this. 
that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? That's what the psalmist in this passage is doing. The voice that is in his head, the voice that is on repeat in his head is saying, God has forgotten you, God has left you, and you are a fool forever believing and trusting in God. And instead of just listening to himself, he talks back to himself. In verses 5 and verse 11, and again we see it in Psalm 43, he talks back to his soul. He says, soul, why are you cast down? This is the refrain that connects the entire passage together. He says, why are you feeling, why are you in turmoil, soul? Hope in God, for I will again praise God. The psalmist knows what we forget. That his feelings are real, but they're not always true. It is real that he is feeling that he has been abandoned by God. It is real that he feels deserted and alone from God. It would be foolish of him to ignore his emotions altogether, but it would be just as foolish of him to think that his feelings are always true of reality. And so he talks back to himself. He preaches the gospel back to himself. He says, hope in God. I know that I will again praise God. I won't feel this way forever. He says, I haven't always felt like this. I know that even in this moment, I can't imagine feeling anything other than this. But by faith, I believe that this will not last forever. I will again praise God. The psalmist is talking to himself and not just listening to himself. Sometimes it is so hard for us to do that because the voice in our head, the, the volume is so loud that we can't hear anything else. And that's when we need the people of God. That's when you need a friend or a counselor or a pastor, someone outside of you that can remind you of what is true. But what assurance, what assurance do we have that any of this will actually help, that any of this is worth remembering? Is this just wishful thinking? Is this man a fool for hoping in God in the midst of his depression? He is not a fool, and we are not fools either for hoping in God because of the last point is that we remember the steadfast love of God. It's the hardest thing for us to do when we are depressed, to remember God's faithful love towards us. And it's even harder if we're not doing the first three things that we're, we talked about in this part. The psalmist remembers God's steadfast love in verse 8, and he says, By the day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. The psalmist knows that despite what he feels, despite his circumstances, that the covenant love of God will not leave him. That he has got a song in the dead of the night to keep him. That God's covenant, faithful, never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love will not leave him. And he is pleading God's promises back to God. By faith, he believes that in the midst of his deep spiritual thirst, that he will not be abandoned by God. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you find yourself depressed, 
I want you to know that God's steadfast love is available for you. We receive that steadfast love of God when we trust in Jesus to save us, when we give up on ourselves and we trust in Him. But some of you would say, I know Jesus. I have remembered all of these things. I have done everything that you have said and more. I'm doing everything I know to do, and my depression will not go away. The despair will not leave. And I'm so sorry. I don't know why God won't take your depression from you. I pray that he will. I don't know why you're in the place you are now. There's a quote that I read from a woman who is battling profound suffering in her life. And she speaks so beautifully about God's presence when she is in the midst of unanswered questions about where God is. The quote is this, But here's one thing that I do know. When it comes to pain, God isn't often in the business of taking it away. Instead, he adds to it. He is more of a giver than a taker. God doesn't take away my darkness. He adds light. He doesn't spare me of thirst. He brings water. He doesn't cure my loneliness. He comes near. So why do we believe that when we are in pain, it must mean that God is far? The reason for our continued depression may remain a mystery for us. But we can know that our Savior will not leave us. He is a man of sorrows. He is one who is well acquainted with grief. and He is near you. Toward the end of Pilgrim's Progress, there is a scene in which Christian and Hopeful are crossing the river together. And Christian enters the water And when he enters, he quickly begins to sink beneath the water. And he cries out to Hopeful and he says, I'm sinking in the deep waters. The billows go over my head and all of his waves go over me. And his friend, Hopeful, is the one who is holding him up, the one who is carrying him through the river. And he calls to his friend Christian and he says, Be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom and it is good. And so when you are sinking in the deep water of despair, when the billows of despondency are over your head, when the waves of depression pile under you and it feels like you are about to drown, remember our Savior. Remember our true friend, Hopeful, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to you, I feel the bottom. It is good. Jesus touched the bottom of the river of your despair. The waves crashed over him at the cross. Jesus sank into the deep waters of the wrath of God all the way to the very bottom. And he knows your grief and despair. He has been to the bottom of it. Amidst the waves of depression that you are enduring, you have the promise of God that he will carry you to the other side. 
Jesus gives us a promise. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, all you who are in despair, all you who are depressed, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would take this word, that you would multiply it for your use. We pray that by your spirit that you would be near to the one who is slow, that you would comfort them, that you would bring a friend to them, and that in your mercy that you would lift the cloud of depression that hangs over them. And Lord, do this for your glory, we pray through Christ. Amen.